Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, friends. We have a very exciting show for you today. We're going to talk about how women of faith are working together for religious freedom in the international arena, and not just women of any particular faith, but of a number of different faiths. Our guest today, James Chen, Executive Director of the Institute for Global Engagement. James, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Hi, thanks a lot for having me. So you guys are sponsoring a, a conference, I understand, here in Washington, D.C. Tell us about how you're trying to empower women of faith to work for human rights and religious freedom. Yeah, thanks a lot, Alan. Uh, definitely. We uh, have a Center for Women, Faith, and Leadership, or CWFL for short. And one thing we've basically recognized is that in the international affairs arena, particularly in issues dealing with peace building or security or uh, religious freedom, the voices of women of faith have been ignored or, or overlooked or deliberately suppressed. Some of these are reasons dealing with perhaps uh, doctrinal or theological or cultural issues, um, and others are just just the lack of platforms or opportunities for women of, women of faith um, to be able to be able to bring their values and to bring their perspectives to these um, important issues. Um, and you know, we we all know that just not even talking about women of faith, but just the women in general um, in this arena uh, also face similar challenges, but. You know, I would argue that women of faith, especially so. So, uh, what we're well, doing. You, give me an idea of the scope here geographically. Are we talking about American women, Asian women, Middle Eastern? Where, where are these women coming from? Uh, yeah, it's, it's the whole spectrum. So, for our program, it's, it's a fellows program in which we, we're trying to, to basically develop the leadership capacity, uh, a cohort of women from across the globe. And so, you know, it's a multi-faith cohort. We've got Muslims from Pakistan. We've got, uh, you know, Christians here in the U.S. We've also got Muslims here in the U.S. that are part of the program. Um, we've had Buddhists from Myanmar in the past. And so just a really diverse cohort, but you'll see that they face some challenges that are common to their situation. Um, and so what we're hoping to do is through this, uh, we're, we're holding this advocacy forum and the, the focus will be on the issue of refugees. And you know, I'm, I'm sure you all know that that's a very pertinent issue uh, this day. And, um, and basically talking about from their different perspectives and from their different global contexts, uh, how can women of faith be a more effective advocate on behalf of, um, of refugees or, or people facing situations in which they're displaced from their homes? So, that, so that's a primary goal. One question I have is whether you're bringing of different faiths together and helping them to work together. For example, Christians and Muslims, there's so much conflict in certain countries. Nigeria is one that I think of, but it's not a Middle Eastern country. And I know there are some working on how to, to build a, a new ethos of mutual respect 
and collaboration for human rights and religious liberty. Is that kind of part of what this is all about? Yes, exactly. Um, and that, that was very intentional in how we designed this cohort, is to have women from different faiths, from different countries, to be able to go through this program together, to journey through it. Um, you know, they're, they're all, uh, and they're all still uh, located in their countries, but then um, we bring them in for face-to-face uh, workshops in D.C., uh, and this will be one of them. And this really uh, provides them an opportunity to be able to not only improve and enlarge their networks, but also, yeah, to get that real hands-on experience in multi-faith and to encompass women of faith from different countries. And not only that, but to be able to bring them together, uh, both uh, through a virtual online sessions, but also through face-to-face sessions, to being really to go through that the fellowship together, to go through that journey together, so that they really get a real pragmatic hands-on experience on working effectively multi-faith. Uh, and so basically, they are growing together. Uh, the, the Muslims, the, the Catholics, Protestants, you know, Buddhists. Um, they're communicating together regularly and learning, you know, what's what's the most effective way uh, in which they could be able to um, be, you know, implementing a program together or working with allies from other faiths in advancing a certain um, agenda or goal. Well, this is very, very exciting work. And I think, you know, it gives our listeners a glimpse into things that they don't get to hear about or see, you know, things that are going on. The news media doesn't report about how faith groups come together quietly under the auspices of of groups like yours. Um, Let's kind of back up a little bit and give our listeners an idea about the Institute for Global Engagement. Um, How old are you? Why was it founded? Uh, Tell us a little bit about the organization itself. Yeah, thanks, Alan. Uh, so we were founded in 2000 uh, by Robert Seipel, who was the first ambassador at large for international religious freedom here in the United States, uh, and his wife, Margaret Ann. And the purpose of the founding was basically uh, a lot of people were talking about, you know, wanting to be able to improve uh, international religious freedom, but there wasn't really talk about how do you actually operationalize that? How do you actually do that on the ground? Um, besides governments going to countries and, you know, kind of pointing the finger saying, um, you know, you guys need to be doing better on this topic. Um, and so he had identified a need for just an organization that would be able to basically engage uh, both governments and religious communities in different contexts and to be able to, from there, build relationships of trust to start conduct different um, trainings and to basically help both uh, governments and religious communities to uh, yeah to to rebuild that that trust to be able to um, bring about changes both in policies and in legislation uh, that would improve religious freedom on the ground. Um, and so we've been doing that for uh, sixteen years. Yeah, right. Um, Let me ask you: Is there a particular country that you feel like IGE has? has really had a significant impact on. Because I, I am going to ask you about countries like China, which are getting worse, not better. But I thought, well, let's start with, you know, are, are there any real success stories? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great question. Uh, one of our longest projects has been with uh, the government and the country of Vietnam. And it's a particularly 
um, special one because, you know, Ambassador Seipel himself uh, is a Vietnam veteran. And so it's really also a great story, just, you know, reconciliation and him being able to go back and, um, you know, talk to some of the government officials that were also involved in, in the war on their side. Uh, but in any case, uh, with Vietnam, what we've been able to do is to really work with government partners, uh, church partners, and other religious groups to go to uh, put together uh, what we call religion and rule of law training programs. Um, and these have been going on for the past number of years. Um, they've involved both government officials and religious leaders, as well as academics. And it's basically uh, the program is looking at how do you implement religious freedom um, like legislatively, you know, what, what really goes into that. And um, you may, some of your listeners might know about uh, this law that the Vietnamese government passed uh, last year, the, the law on religion and belief. Um, that law is the first law of its kind in Vietnam. And while many may have found it problematic in many areas, you can really see that the government uh, is really wrestling with how to balance their concerns about security with concerns about um, freedom of religion. And so for the law, they actually asked IGE and our partners, um, Brigham Young University uh, is actually one of our great partners, to provide feedback on the law and to actually dig into the real text and to show, you know, what are some areas that could be improved. And, you know, this law was like looking into everything, uh, issues about registration, about um, finances of religious groups, about property, you know, and all those things that go into, you know, what things that we take for granted here in America. Um, they were really wrestling with all these different issues. And so um, they, they actually asked for us to provide this feedback uh, for reference to their um, their legislators. And so, you know, this uh, we found this to be a really good um, sign of goodwill. You know, it's it's almost as if, you know, here in the States, we asked uh, some other country for feedback on our you know, healthcare law, something, you know, something like that. Um, yeah, I wish we would somehow. <laughs> uh, we could sure improve on it. No, I, this is this is great. I mean, from from a Western standpoint, of course, the the law in Vietnam is is still very problematic. But at least you know those of you know your organization and and I know some of the folks at, at Brigham Young Law School um, are some of the best people on religious liberty. Um, the fact that they're even bringing you into the dialogue means that they're open and, you know, we'll just have to see, hope for improvement in the future as well. Yeah, um, right. But in the time we have remaining, I want to turn to a, a country that I know remains very problematic. And there was a new, we've got about two minutes left. There was a, uh, a new law passed at the beginning of February this year in China that's even more restrictive. Can you give us a, a quick summary of what's happening there. Yeah, it was an amending of the religious uh, regulations on religious affairs. So it's not actually at the level of a law, um, if you aren't a technical, but um, the, it's become a lot more restrictive. Uh, religious, uh, it will affect religious communities um, very negatively, in our view. And it's really part of a push by the leader of China, uh, President Xi Jinping, to really consolidate his power, exercise greater control over Chinese society. Um, and so that, that's something that we've been really concerned about. And we're also working with partners on the ground to um, be able to work with religious groups and leaders on how to respond to that law. 
Uh, so that's something we're really concerned about. I gather that the practical effect is that it's open season on pastors and members of the home churches that are unregistered, that are not officially sponsored by the government. Right. Um, and it varies by you know, locality and province, but, but yes, uh, in general, it's going to be a lot more harder to be a, a pastor of a, of a house church uh, moving, moving forward. Um, and so it's part of a push, basically, by the government and by the leader to what he calls to Sinicize or to Chineseify religion. Uh, but basically what that means is that any religion must serve the interests of the state. Um, and so uh, we, what we have to do, uh, especially as believers, is to be able to show how uh, the church uh, really does serve the interests of, of the country and of the society, and to be able to kind of get a jump on what it means to be a truly Chinese church. And I think there's a way to do that without buying into the government agenda. Well, I suspect that the Chinese authorities do not want a church that speaks truth to power in the prophetic sense of calling it to account for uh, perceived excesses, etc. Um, but that's unique in the Chinese, uh, maybe it's not unique to China. Well, we're running out of time. This has been a wonderful discussion today with James Chen, Executive Director at the Institute for Global Engagement. Uh, James, go ahead and give out the email address for IGE. Yeah, great. Uh, so if you want to reach out to us, just feel free to email us at info at globalengage.org. And our website is globalengage.org. So welcome you to reach out. Wonderful. And we sure appreciate the work that you've been doing. And I know your, your founder, uh, Bob Seifel, is a, a good friend of, of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and, and many other churches as well. And as we close, you can check us out on Facebook. Check out our Facebook page, my personal page, Alan Reinach. We're launching a Matters of Conscience Facebook and social media effort. Check out our legal resources page at www.churchstate.org. The Freedom's Ring is available on SoundCloud and on iTunes. Don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.